calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, and welcome to this episode of CFA Institute's Take 15 series. I'm Sam Lum, Director of Private Wealth and Capital Markets at CFA Institute. I'm joined here today in our Asia-Pacific Regional Office in Hong Kong by Mr. Stuart Lucas, Chairman of Wealth Strategist Partners. Stuart is a CFA charter holder with an MBA from Harvard. He has worked as an investment professional for nearly 30 years. As a fourth-generation descendant of E.A. Stewart, the founder of the Canadian company, Stewart currently co-manages the family's investment office. Stewart, thanks for being with us today. In your book, Wealth, as well as your workshops for wealth owners, you use the term strategic wealth management and wealth strategist extensively. What actually does a wealth strategist do? Well, first of all, Sam, I'd like to say how excited I am to be back in Hong Kong and to be back here with you at the CFA Institute. Wealth management involves actually the management of a number of distinct disciplines. There is investment management, there is business management, there is tax and estate planning, and then of course there's family management as well. And if you think about both the business issues and the family issues. It's really the job of the wealth strategist to think comprehensively and strategically about how to integrate all of these different pieces so that the whole is worth at least the sum of the parts and that the long-term direction of the family is set, strong, and healthy. Because the job is so complex, in many European and Latin American families, the, the job of the wealth strategist often resides in more than one person. And in, some, in many cases, the, the governance structure is such that the business management is separated from the family management uh, within the family construct. And in fact, this is increasingly happening in Asia as well. I ran across a family the other day that has just gone through a several year transition of uh, uh, replacing family management with outside professional management and now the family is learning both how to manage the family and also how to manage as business owners but not as business managers and obviously those are two distinct things. Stuart, you have done a fair bit of work with families in Asia and Europe. How is strategic wealth management applied in the context of these regions? Sam, I teach a, uh, uh, an executive education course at the University of Chicago for wealth owners on the subject of wealth management. And when we established the program a few years ago, one thing we never expected was that up to a third of each program was made up of families from outside the United States wanting to learn how to become wealth strategists. And it's been very gratifying uh, for, for me to work with all these different families from around the world and to learn from them. And 
one of the things that I find is that while the operating environments are very different in different parts of the world, the core issues that, that families wrestle with are actually quite similar, whether they're Asian families or European families, Latin American or American families. And, and, what, that, and, and what they're most concerned about is figuring out how to help their families flourish over multiple generations. One of the eight principles of strategic wealth management that you are advocating involves aligning family and business interests. How does a wealth owner do the alignment? Well, aligning the interests of family members, uh, particularly as a family grows, gets more and more complex, and yet for the family to function together, it's it is very critical. Uh, one of the things that you have to balance is on the one hand the shared affinities of the family because those are what define the family, the family brand and the things that keep attracting the family members to want to work together and to spend time together. On the other hand you have to celebrate the individual uh, uh, passions, interests and personalities of the, the different family members because ultimately it is the individuals who have to flourish in order to make the family flourish. Sometimes that doesn't work so well uh, and uh, families get stuck. Uh, and I was working with a European family of, uh, uh, that where, where the children in, in the second generation simply did not want to work together. They had different visions for what their individual future was and for what the family was. And this was something that the family had a very hard time resolving uh, and, and ultimately they just became uh, in, intransigent and uh, the, the business interests and the family interests uh, simply did not, uh, did not prosper. On the other hand, you have situations where families uh, invest heavily in family culture uh, and uh, when it works, it's an extremely powerful com uh, 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 circumstance because people really trust each other and enjoy uh, 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 being productive together. And it's very gratifying to watch that happen. What other strategic wealth management principles do you find particularly important in your experience in working with Asian and European families? I think one of the other key principles is the principle of accountability. And I hope all you CFA charter holders hold yourselves accountable to your clients, whether they're individuals, families, or institutions. But it's also very important for family members to hold themselves accountable to one another. The, uh, there are a number of reasons why this is very important. Uh, because um, we are competitive souls in many cases and having a system of accountability helps me, for example, in my family to demonstrate to other family members that I'm being a productive uh, part of the family and that I'm contributing to the family's success and growth. But another very important part of accountability within a family is that sometimes family members don't particularly perform. And if you have a robust system of accountability that measures performance, it becomes much easier to address the problem by saying, you may not be performing in the business, but I still love you. If you don't have a good system of accountability, then it's very easy for those two issues to get blurred 
and that creates uh, has run the potential of creating long-term anxiety and and fissures within the family. <coughs> One of the other very important principles is taking the opportunity to uh, um, uh, leverage the combined resources of the family. And one Indonesian family that uh, I'm familiar with uh, did this in a very creative way. They actually set up three funds. One was an entrepreneurship fund, a second was a, uh, an education fund, and the third was a health fund. And there were a series of rules that uh, um, were created to both encourage and to demand uh, uh, certain levels of, of accountability, going back to the previous principle, um, for family members to apply to these funds um, to, to uh, help them pursue their life passions and goals, or in the case of healthcare, to help protect them. One of the things that's challenging about this type of a vehicle, though, uh, is to make sure that you have enough uh, of a robust process when people go to tap into family resources that they it's very clear to them that this that these resources are not an entitlement but rather a a measure of uh, of accomplishment Stuart you're a CFA charter holder and you've been investing for 30 years for clients as well as your family office do you have any perspective about investing in Asia that you care to share? Sam, my family started investing in Asia uh, more than 15 years ago. And at first we were investing in public stocks, but it was, uh, we were not confident that the returns to the business were reflected well in the returns to the shareholder. And then when the Asian financial crisis hit, we changed our strategy because we thought for the first time there would be an opportunity to get a partial or, or total control investments in Asian businesses that would increase the likelihood that the return to the business would actually be reflected in the returns to the shareholders. And really, since 1998, our primary strategy for investing in Asia has been to invest in private equity uh, in Asia, which is a little bit unusual, I think, uh, but uh, it has worked out very well for us. Um, and the reason that we, we invested in Asia uh, in a significant way was that we thought that as an overall part of our portfolio, it made sense to have a specific carve-out for our Asian investments because there was higher growth potential in Asia. There was, uh, the most of the businesses had low financial leverage, which would lower the correlation with other highly leveraged assets. There was currency diversification, and there was the potential for the decoupling of economies, if not of the financial markets uh, and, the, and the pricing of securities. And I think that, that um, uh, we've been very happy with, uh, with those investments. That said, investing in Asia as a foreign uh, entity is different than investing as a local. It's higher risk for us and therefore we demand uh, higher return. The reason it's higher risk is not only do we have less good information, but also there's currency risk uh, in many countries uh, in addition to all of the economic uh, uh, and political risk. 
Um, and um, so when we looked at investing in Asia, we also thought about having a higher hurdle rate for our investments in that part of the world. And it's one of the reasons that it drove us towards private equity. Now, of course, roll that clock forward 15 years, and Asia has become really sort of the, the hot market for foreign investors. And in many ways, I've, I'm kind of sad that that uh, um, it's now in the spotlight. I actually preferred it when uh, Asia was, was not quite as exciting a place for foreign investors. Um, and uh, I think actually today, in many ways, Asia is more treacherous in part because it's such an exciting place uh, for investors to, to be. Um, but in other ways, it's less treacherous. I think the regulation uh, today is much better uh, and um, the shareholder culture is actually much stronger today than it was 15 years ago, which I really applaud. So we plan to be here for the long run uh, as, uh, as investors, um, even with the changing uh, climate and the uh, ever new challenges. And finally, has the global financial crisis of 2008 changed the way you manage the investments in your family office? You know, Sam, it, it really hasn't. Uh, we have for a long time accepted volatility as an important part of what we do. And uh, the, the cost in our minds of protecting against volatility uh, is, is high. And what we've tried to do is to educate ourselves and the family to withstand volatility and actually use volatility as an opportunity rather than as something to fear. And so when the, Asian, when the, when the current financial crisis came, uh, we actually used leverage uh, in our portfolio really for the first time ever and have only just in the last few weeks actually taken the leverage off the portfolio. And that gave us the opportunity to, to really be proactive in this difficult climate um, that we've been going through. But fundamentally, the investment climate hasn't changed. But one other thing that we do actually to help manage is how we manage cash flow. Because you know, in our family, people are, are reliant on the financial assets for part of their income. And what we have done to help people manage the volatility of assets is actually to try to reduce the volatility of cash flow. And by doing so, they seem to be better able to withstand the whipsaws that uh, we've all been going through uh, over the last uh, 24 months. And I'm, I'm really pleased to say that um, nobody panicked and uh, uh, we've really seen this through uh, in a very positive way. Stuart, thank you for sharing your thoughts on strategic wealth management in Asia and Europe. And thank you, our viewers, for joining us. To browse our collection of other multimedia products, please visit us online at cfawebcasts.org. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.